Did you know Shopify doesn't allow more than 100 combinations of options on a product? What? No. Fortunately, there's a solution. Bold Product Options app, the number one options app on Shopify. Tell me more. It allows you to create as many options on products as you want in every type you can imagine. Like what? File uploads, text fields, text areas, radio buttons, checkboxes, color swatches, date pickers, and a couple others I forgot. Wow. Now, not only can it change prices on products, or those options can actually be products too. How so? All right, here's an example. An option could be add the matching hat or add a protective case. And then when customers select it, it actually adds that product in the checkout, increasing your average order value. But I hate long forms. Well, to boost conversions, Bold's conditional logic feature lets you show or hide options based off of what customers pick. For example, if you select custom engraving, then we only want to show the custom engraving text field after they've checked that box. Okay, where can I get it? If you need sophisticated options or just more than the standard 100 variant limit, this is the app you need. Right now, Bold is offering listeners of the unofficial Shopify podcast their product options app free for two months. Just go to kurtelster.com slash bold to install it and get your exclusive offer. That's kurtelster.com slash bold. I'm heading there now. Additional support for the unofficial Shopify podcast comes from SEO Manager. You already know the benefits of SEO. The higher you rank in search, the more visitors you get, and more visitors means more sales, which means more money in your pocket. But how do you do it? That's where SEO Manager comes in. It helps Shopify store owners get found in search engines more easily, and it's trusted by thousands of store owners. No surprise there, it's equal parts power, innovation, and ease of use. Think of SEO Manager as your optimization toolbox. Here's some examples. It can scan your site for issues, offer keyword suggestions, add structured data support, analyze missing pages and redirects, and even integrate with Kit plus a ton more tools to help you be easily found in Google searches. Best of all, it's easy to get started. You can get started in minutes, and their friendly support team is always on standby if you need help. Seriously, I have met them. They are the best. And as a special offer to you, you can get 10% off SEO Manager forever when you sign up at seomanager.com unofficial. That's seomanager.com unofficial. Today on the Unofficial Shopify Podcast, we are talking to a self-described mompreneur of a six-figure family apparel brand with a close, with a, a social mission tied to their brand and marketing strategies. She is a, a brilliant businesswoman. She's going to walk us through her journey and give us, I'm sure, loads of absolutely mind-blowing advice. We're going to hear lots of sound drops. And surely, she is a recovering banker, a manager... Uh, former management consultant, and she had her eyes and ears open for different entrepreneurial ideas during her maternity leave when her baby boy suffered from eczema, which is no joke. Eczema is a real nightmare if you have it. And she struggled to find the right socks for his sensitive feet. At that time, she started Q for Quinn, a company that sells gentle, comfortable socks for the entire family. Oh, I am a sock connoisseur. I have sock opinions. Q for Quinn's collection of mix and match socks also means you never have to scramble for a matching pair of socks again. We slip that plug in there. 
Melita is a mom of two kids, and in addition to running Q for Quinn, she is also a children's book author. Wow. Okay, you're this is about to blow you away. She has done everything, and it she ke- keeps going. The list of things of accomplishments here. Melita holds an MBA from the University of Toronto and a BSc in economics from the London School of Economics. Oh my God, what have you not done? Mm. Traveled lately? That's a good. Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> so. Tell me about Q for Quinn. I hear you sell socks. We do. We do. And tights. Um, Yeah. So I started Q for Quinn, as you said, when my son was um, a few months old. He was about eight months when I had the idea for it because he had eczema on his feet. So he would constantly get flare ups uh, with the socks he would wear. So I couldn't really find anything that was... um, that was perfect for him. Um, and so I had this idea to start um, this sock company. And at the time, I I guess I really wanted to be an entrepreneur at some point. And I was on maternity leave, but wasn't quite a paid maternity leave because I didn't have a job to go back to. Um, and so I, I had my eyes and ears open. And so when I had this idea for socks, I started to think about, you know, all those issues I had with his socks and even my socks. I mean, I kept losing them for one. Um, so I had this idea of starting, um, you know, a collection where it was mix and match. So if you lost um, a single sock, you always had something to pair it with. And it was just fun to wear mismatched socks. Um, so every collection of our socks comes with three pairs but nine possible combinations so you never have to oh, cool. for a matching pair again um, and um, and that's sort of how the idea started and as I was kind of developing the idea further I guess I was really big on trying to create a brand um, and and I and I wanted kids because it would be a kids sock company it had to be fun it had to be something that kids could relate to and I always wanted some an educational component to whatever I was doing um, and, and so I, I thought about writing this children's book about socks um, and I kind of got carried away because I really enjoyed the process. I started writing, I started um, editing it, got a professional editor to actually look at it and and it came, it sort of came together one step at a time and um, in the end before I launched the company I had this book which had the sock patterns. It was a fun rhyming story about Quinn socks um, and um, and I had three collections that came with the book and that's how Q for Quinn sort of launched um, with this book and, and matching socks. <laughs> I already have several things I need to unpack there. Uh, you said you, in, you knew you wanted to be an entrepreneur but you didn't have the business idea yet and I certainly I sympathize with that. I feel like you know, somewhere around uh, age 18, I said, I'm getting people, you know, when people ask, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be an entrepreneur. Oh, what are you going to do? I don't know yet. Like that was yeah. really a thing I had to deal with. And often I would be like, well, probably something with cars. Like I just kind of do <laughs> yeah. a general interest. Right. And, but it really was, you know, I had so many false starts. I, I can't count mm-hmm. uh, of trying to solve, uh, of trying to start a business. How long did you have that, that yearning when to be an entrepreneur and own your own business? Well, I was always inspired by my dad. He's an entrepreneur um, and he started with nothing. He started his company at 27 years and through the years um, he was able to make enough money to send us, my my, sis, my two sisters and I, uh, to the UK for education um, and, you know, afford a, a, a good lifestyle and uh, formal education for us. So I was, I was very much inspired by, 
by him um, growing up, and I always wanted to be a bit more like him. So that's kind of where the um, where the drive for becoming an entrepreneur sort of came from. Um, because I, I guess I went to the LSE where 90, 99% of graduates go into investment banking or something ridiculous like that. So I was always influenced by you know, kind of, you know, what's the hot thing to do or what everybody else is doing. And so I, I followed that path, but I always knew at the back of my head, maybe I'm just going to try this and see what it, you know, if it's, if it's sort of uh, fulfilling for me. Um, and if not, that's when I would be, <laughs> become an entrepreneur. But I, so I kept pushing it for the longest time, one, because I didn't have that business idea. And second, because um, I always had this better, this shiny, job, I guess, that was, um, that was, a you know, that was promising a great salary and prestige in a way. Um, so I got caught up in that a lot. So I did banking for three years, actually worked for Lehman Brothers, they went bankrupt. Um, and even then I got another job offer after that. So it was, it came to me fairly easily. And so there was always that option. So I felt like I was, um, I was always kind of dragged in a way um, into it. Um, and same with the MBA, when I moved to Canada, I found that all the jobs I was getting was in either banking, mostly in banking because I didn't have the, that experience. So I decided to do an MBA. And then there too, there was that strong influence. There wasn't so much of an entrepreneurial influence um, at the school. And, um, and, I, and I always felt, oh, I need more experience to be an entrepreneur. So I'm going That's to- That's what work. I felt too. Yeah. It wasn't, you know, in retrospect, you realize it's not true. It is so not true. <laughs> at the time, essentially it's, it's permission setting. You're yeah. like looking for someone to give you permission to go start a business. Yeah. And if business, like I, uh, my undergrad was business degree and I took a bunch of entrepreneurship courses and then I went to an MBA and studied uh, entrepreneurship and sustainability. And really the whole time I was just looking for, you know, permission. I was looking for the, the time that someone goes, well, here's your entrepreneur card. You can now go do it. And of course it doesn't happen. Yeah, it doesn't. And, and so I had to almost give force myself to not have those options um and that's when it kind of happened where it jumped on it so um just going back a little bit so after the mba worked um as a management consultant so much too much travel again not really satisfying not really what i wanted and you know personally as well my husband and i were trying to uh, start a family and we couldn't because my body was under so much stress and and so i we did take a sabbatical go back to sri lanka help out with the family business there came back and I thought, I'm not doing this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I, uh, I quit and I just took time off and then, um, then got pregnant with my son and, and had my son. And, and I didn't have like an option to go back to and everything else seemed, um, didn't seem as attractive at the time because I felt like I would have had to start again and, and things like that. So like my dad, I almost like this, I mean, he it wasn't so much of a choice for him when he started his business, but I felt at that point that I didn't have too many options, but to carve my own path in a way. Um, Certainly, and- necessity is the mother of invention. We're seeing that here. And you know, when you and you can intentionally remove your own options to force yourself down the path that you know uh, will be harder, but probably better. And yes. it sounds like that's what you did. But just to clarify, and I think I know the answer here, would you ever go back to your you know, a, a proper traditional corporate job. No, never. <laughs> <laughs> I, I figured yeah. I would have been surprised if you said anything else. Option C. <laughs> so you talked a lot about uh, starting a family uh, and that being uh, 
traditionally employed was uh, counterproductive to that. Do you, my wife gets this question and it always drives her crazy because people are like, how do you manage being a mom and owning a business or you know, some variation on that? And it, it like, it, it offends her because no one has ever asked me like, yeah. how are you a dad and yeah. own an e-commerce business? What do you say to that? Physically, like the woman carries the child. So you're going through this nine months of pregnancy, you're going through childbirth and you're going through postpartum. So at least in my case, it did impact me more than it impacted my husband in terms of being Certainly. functional and being able to 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 run a business um so it is what it is and so um so i don't personally get offended but as the kids grow up i think there is that um there that continues to be that little bit of a stigma or um you know perception that okay, a woman, you know, does more in the household and does more with taking care of the children and, and all of that. And certainly in my culture, that is the case. Uh, so, um, and I'm, I'm fortunate because uh, my husband is quite understanding of the situation and we, we have almost like a 50-50 split, even though he's got like a stable, you know, income and mine's kind of a little bit up in the air <laughs> at times. Um, but, uh, uh, but but the point being, I think there is um, there's definitely still that um, that perception. Uh, but I, I um, and it's changing. Um, but I think there still needs to be more recognition for women or mom entrepreneurs, especially in the early stages when you're when you're having the kids and you know, you're expected to either fulfill a role in a top corporate job or um, or own your own business. It is it is hard. Um, and the, the husband can only do so much, but, the, you know, the baby relies on you. The baby, like I nursed my kids and, and so they relied on me. <laughs> um, I did have some help. So we did have like some part-time help and, and things like that. Um, and, and that really does make all the difference in the world. If yeah. you... If you're lucky enough to have a, a support network available uh, or are able to afford um, uh, a nanny yeah. or a sitter. I mean, just even like when we started with a nanny and we don't do it now because of the, the pandemic, um, but previously, even just one day was just yeah. like this just incredible breath of fresh air because previously everything has to be packed into like this very regimented schedule of like, okay, get the kids up, breakfast, get the day started. And all right, now... Uh, I have to choose, you know, my wife had to choose between work on my business or work on self-care, go take a shower, go work out. Yeah. And so, you know, just even having one day of a nanny, tremendously helpful for her yes. where she could plan around that. Um, and that rapidly went, it went from like one day to two day to three day, yeah. uh, then pandemic. <laughs> Yeah, actually, we had uh, three-day support, so our nanny was coming in uh, three days a week before the pandemic hit. She's a little bit older, so she was also very uncomfortable coming in. So right now, we don't have childcare, and it's hard, but uh, we take, like I said, I take turns with my husband, so I work in the mornings, and he does the afternoons, and, and so we've been trying to split up our time and manage that way. But I think the key is just to try to figure it out with your situation, um, and yes, we were very fortunate to have that that childcare, um, and especially so since my parents don't live here, so they weren't able to come as as often. So um, that made a huge difference. 
Yeah, absolutely. Like for people without kids, they're like, why are they not talking about e-commerce? Yeah. But when <laughs> you're a, uh, a couple and especially like a, a, a married couple with kids where both people are entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. there needs to be a you need to over communicate on schedules and expectations and what you need and how you're feeling or things will go off the rails rapidly. Very. And it's very easy. It, it's a, uh, an easy thing to work around and fix if you over communicate and you're actively working on um, on the situation, on your household, and on your, your marriage and relationship. Yeah. Okay. So one of the early things you said, if I go back to like 10 minutes ago before we went totally off the rails, um, you said you had you know, a, a realistic pain in your own life in finding the right socks. And then even like once you have purchased the socks, you have found and purchased socks, then like literally finding them in your house because kids' socks and baby socks end up everywhere and mismatched. So you knew you had these these very literal pains. I love that nearly every entrepreneurial journey on this store starts with someone finding this pain in their own life and going, well, why can't I fix that? So talk me through that. How did you come to the realization? You know, now it seems very obvious, like socks and okay, we're going to sell these organic cotton socks. And But at the time, it's like socks, who cares? Everybody sells socks. Mm-hmm. How, what What did that look like? So I didn't do like extensive market research or anything like that, if um, that's kind of what you're asking. So I kind of a little bit followed my gut. I did do some Google research to figure out, um, you know, what were the search terms like and and, and things like that. But I, I think I was, you know, f- you know, putting my MBA hat on. I was very, um, a little bit adamant on creating some sort of differentiator. Not only did it have to be the best product out there because like you said socks are very competitive uh you can buy socks at walmart like it's it's almost like a um a convenience play with socks it's like you you go in you go to the grocery store you sometimes even like um gas stations sell socks so uh, oh, <laughs> so it's it, i don't own any truck stop socks <laughs> but i'm sure they're very nice but yeah. you're right like socks are like some apparel basics like socks are kid are very much a commodity yes Yes, exactly. And so I set out to create something that, you know, solved kind of multiple pain points when it came to socks. So yeah, the mix and match when you lose socks, but also the grips I found the socks in the market didn't quite have proper grips. Um, And I think eventually, so after I you know, I guess I, I fell into that trap that almost probably every entrepreneur does, like you create a great product and you expect people to come. But that isn't the case, and that wasn't the case with my my experience. Um, so very much after I launched, I noticed that a lot of people were buying my socks. Um, one because they had kids with sensitive feet, but also uh, because they were made from organic cotton, and that wasn't as prevalent as regular cotton socks. So. I made the decision sort of early on, just kind of listening to what my customers were saying, uh, why they were coming back and buying. And I found while the book was such a kind of cute concept and it's a nice gift, it was the socks that was the consumable, that that was why people were coming back and buying from me. Um, And so I decided to double down on socks. And um, so I continued to sort of work on the features, introduce adult socks so that the the, the matching daddy and me, mommy and me socks um, are, are a little bit unique in the market again. And also um, they, um, uh, around Father's Day, around Christmas, uh, they're very, very popular. They're actually my best, best selling item um, mm. just because of, you can't really get them um, at a Walmart or anywhere else. <laughs> um, Let's... Sorry. Let's back up. Yeah. What did that conversation look like where you said, turned to your husband and said, I think I'm going to start a store that sells socks. 
Um, I think by this time, I had talked so much about being an entrepreneur. He was all like, sure, just do it. <laughs> okay, good. Well, it's, you need that buy-in you from your, your spouse or your immediate family. And it, it, it's very difficult and demoralizing to not have that buy-in. And like you very much need their support. Yes. In especially early on. But like for the life of the business, you know, they're they just as they are married to you, they end up being married to your work as well. Oh yes. Yes. And you know, it's not always been perfect. Um, in terms of okay, he's you know, I've always felt that I've had that support or um and vice versa as well. And he's he's got a pretty intense job as well. He does work for a company, but he heads the Toronto office of a US company. Um so he manages a team of fifteen people. So um so between the two of us it is it's almost like having two entrepreneurs and the two young kids. So um we've I guess over the last two years we've had a lot of conversations and we've got to a place where it's working. But uh, but it's taken us some time. I know I wouldn't be here without my wife's support. And so that's why I, I kind of hammer on it when I can in these episodes. Um, so the once you, you had said, all right, I know the problem we're going to solve. I know the the product we're going to make. I know what it's going to be different about it. And uh, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. We're going to start this. How do you go about developing a product? Selling a physical could scares the hell out of me. <laughs> it really does. And so I'm always fascinated by people who've been able to do it and okay. like what that that path looks like. And as many times as I've heard people talk me through it and make it sound so easy, I'm like, this is so hard. This yeah. is terrifying. Yeah. yeah. And you know what? You're right. Because I, I get um, just in my sort of the communities that I'm part of, a lot of entrepreneurs with the starting off, they're like, how do I, you know, if they're a children's book, how do I go about printing this? How do I go about? And they're very lost when it comes to that. And I did, I did, I was lost at first, but you know, Google's your best friend. You just, I just Googled the hell out of Google in terms of sock manufacturing, uh, trying to figure out what's the best place or where to, um, where to manufacture the socks. And it was, it was quite a big learning because obviously to be mindful about minimums and I didn't have a company yet. So I didn't want to take on too much risk. Uh, right. But with, with socks and with apparel, what you would find is that every color, every size, it has a minimum quantity attached to it. So it adds up very quickly. So trying to find a manufacturer who would work with a smaller company while still being good and has all those certifications I was looking for was a challenge. It took it took me, I think it was two, three months of scouring the internet to, to find. Mm. I ended up getting lucky because I found a manufacturer in Sri Lanka where I grew up. And my, uh, my dad, he lives there. So he was able, he's retired now, he sold his company. He was able to, um, you know, sit down with them. And he was my, you know, right-hand person. And he still is in when it comes to uh, my suppliers. So he visits them. He, um, with every sort of purchase order, he sort of, if if anything needs to be sent in terms of samples and things like that, he's very involved with that process. So, I think it's um, it is it is it is a challenge to find, and it, it continues to still be a challenge to really manage these suppliers. And um, when they're halfway across the world, so right now we're working with suppliers in Portugal, India, and Sri Lanka, which is a lot. <laughs> but um, but and every and every manufacturer works a bit differently, and and so, um, but it's. Um, 
it, it presents a challenge, uh, but it's it's also kind of exciting developing a new relationship with them and seeing what they're capable of. And, and so far, we've been fortunate to have had good relationships. And maybe that's because we've we've re I'm really strict about who we choose with supplier. I mean, we don't, as a small company, you don't have a lot of bargaining power, but it it gets it gets very it you can narrow it down very quickly because only a few suppliers really have the GOT certification, which we care about, which is the organic standard for apparel. Um, a few, and when you even look at countries, sorry, I'm, excuse me if I'm going on and rambling about about this, but the point is that. We, I am very, I'm very particular <laughs> with where the goods come from, and that's part of our story, and that's why people also buy from me because they sort of know the uh, the, the level of transparency that I that I offer. Well, all right. So a few follow ups there. What's one thing, one piece of advice you would give to someone looking for, you know, a, their first manufacturer, they're new to this, to dealing with manufacturers, um, or you know, what's one thing you wish you knew when you had first started? working with manufacturers? Um, try to get as much as possible in writing. Um, contract terms would be um, like, would be, would be the most um, important in my, just so that just the whole idea of even uh, coming up with a contract with a supplier just means that you kind of force both parties to be on the same page. Um, in terms of finding the supplier, I think the consumer today i mean obviously every product is different and some there might be only a, like depending on your product you might only have a handful of suppliers to choose from but the consumer these days is becoming very educated on where things are coming from what's in their stuff um, and so it is so important to really uh, be able to share that with the consumer and be comfortable sharing sharing that which means that when you're sourcing you really have to have strict standards cuz it 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 is a big space out there and so many different parties. And um, this is the approach that I took, but I think that's what is going to create that sort of sustainable business uh, because um, because of the fact that consumers are asking these questions and being able to answer them is what's going to really differentiate yourself from a bigger company. And tell me about transparency has come up several times where like you have a very, you are very clear in what you're looking for in your product and your manufacturer. And then you're also very clear in communicating that to the customer. So you, you have a promise you have to fulfill. So I understand the, uh, the importance of staying on top of and managing uh, your vendors. What does that for you? What does that transparency look like? What are you communicating to your customers? Why and how, why, why do they care? So what I so over the last um, twelve months, what I also uncovered through my journey is the amount of chemicals in a lot of the baby and kids' clothing. Um, there's there's been lots of studies on various clothing items like bibs, um, socks as well. There was a study out of Spain that came out last year that found that ninety percent of the sample studies had BPA and parabens. So oh, God. yeah, it's really shocking. Uh, but when you like when just my experience of sourcing and talking to manufacturers, I'm not so su surprised because, uh, and, and the amount of um, tests that they need to do in order to qualify for GOTS, for example. So it's because all these chemicals are so prevalent in our clothing. Um, and, and so the consumer doesn't, is not quite there yet. They're not as educated yet. And I feel like that is part of my sort of value and business proposition to educate the consumer and um, on what 
what's what's out there in the market and how my offering is um, is different. Um, did that answer your question or? Yes. Well, in scrolling through, if someone's curious, they could scroll through your homepage, qforquinn.com, two ends, and I will link to that in the show notes. We'll also have a special offer later, but we'll save that. Um, but if you scroll through the Q for Quinn homepage, the first time, uh, like it's it's laid out very nicely. It's very pretty. There's a great animated background. I think is so cool. But then you get down to what I would describe as an about section, but it it's a few lines. It says, we create happy and healthy products that are gentle on our skin and our planet. I think the phrase happy and healthy products is brilliant. I think you should, that should be the tagline in the logo. Like you've got this beautiful centered logo at the top, Q for Quinn. What if right underneath that, it said happy and healthy, healthy products. And you can even do the ampersand. So we've just got like a quick four words that immediately, if like that, if healthy products, if manufacturing, if sustainability uh, are concerns for, of you, uh, or concerns of yours, I should say, me talk pretty, concerns of yours, then this will immediately grab your attention. And if it's not, well, you probably weren't going to you know, buy with this brand anyway. You'd go get your pack of Hanes tube socks and not worry about it. Um, like those people just flatly aren't your customers. The, and then as you scroll down, ah, the Q for Quinn difference. And you had said uh, it's, you know, it was important for you early on to have a differentiating factor. And then you start talking about it. First one, safe and toxin-free. Every pair of our socks is made from GOT certified organic cotton and produced in uh, OEKO TEX 100 certified facilities, ensures the absence of harmful chemicals and toxins found in a shocking 90% of baby and kid socks. And what I love about this is, yeah, you threw some buzzwords at me and you cited a statistic, but all three, the only links in that statement are one, uh, the, the, two, the two acronyms, GOTS, and it goes to an entire page about it. Um, and, uh, the certification and then, uh, the statistic, do these all go to the same page? No, they, go yeah, to they go to like a long article about it. Yeah. So I think the guts and Ecotex might go to the same page, but there's another, uh, blog post on the study that came out recently about the, the 90% of socks having BPA and parabens, or at least the samples that they studied. Um, so yeah. So going back to what I was saying about educating the customer, I think when you look at, um, like the food industry, obviously being more mature in terms of organic food and why it's important to eat organic food free from pesticides, um, and not only is it sustainable, uh, but also it's healthier. Um, same with the, the idea of clean beauty, but clean fashion is not really a big thing yet. And, and, and so I guess we're yes. taking a bit of a, a bet here on it becoming a much bigger thing, um, especially for babies who are putting their socks in their mouth. Um, <laughs> and, yes, everything goes in the mouth. Yeah, exactly. And so, um, and so the whole, uh, you know, we, we sell socks right now, but very soon we're going to be launching um, new products. So we're actually expanding quite quickly um, into, and, and the vision is to become more of an apparel basics company uh, focused on creating happy and healthy products um, that are gentle on the skin and on our planet. Um, so what I learned from the last two years and what I found resonating with my consumer demographic is um, this idea of having healthier alternatives to what's in the market. Um, and, and so that's become the mission of the company to create these, these healthier products um, that are also fun and, um, and good for you. Hold up. It's safe to say that most of us have been doing more shopping online lately. 
I know I have. There's just a pile of packages in front of my door. I can't even get the front door open. But if you're an e-commerce brand, that means you might be seeing more first-time customers. But once they've made that first purchase, how do you keep them coming back? That's what Klaviyo is for. Klaviyo is the ultimate email and SMS marketing platform for e-commerce brands. It gives you the tools to build your list, send memorable emails, automate critical messages, and more. Way, way more. That's why more than 30,000 e-commerce brands like Chubby's, Brooklinen, and Keysmart use Klaviyo to build a loyal following. Strong customer relationships mean more repeat sales, enthusiastic word of mouth, and less depending on third-party ads. Now, whether you're launching a new business or taking your brand to the next level, Klaviyo can help you get growing faster. And it's free to get started. Visit Klaviyo.com to create your free account. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O.com. Talk to them. How do people find out about you? Are they actively looking for this or is it word of mouth referral? So we do do some um, SEO um, for people looking for organic cotton socks, but it is not a huge market at the moment compared to clothing, for example. Uh, do a lot of Facebook and Instagram ads. Um, so that's where we get a lot of um I guess, traffic from. Um, and then there is there is word of mouth, especially when it comes to little kids who have very sensitive feet if they're bothered by the seam in their toes. So um, there's a lot more referrals when when it comes to eczema and, um, and um, other skin conditions. So we're proud to say that we even have kids who have had surgery early on and have to wear a cast for multiple hours a day, wear a socks because it's breathable and it doesn't leave them with marks and more, um, I guess, rashes and um, irritate their skin. This is fabulous. The, we started to touch on the, the social mission here, and I see that on, in the site where you talk about the, the Q for Quinn difference. It's a socks that feed children. Every pair of socks we sell, we donate a school meal to a child in need. And you've mentioned social mission uh, a few times. Did you always, from day one, did you know, hey, we're, I'm going to have some kind of social aspect here there'll be some kind of of cause marketing or charitable giving absolutely uh and it really what's more motivates me on a day-to-day basis uh just knowing i'm able to do it through through q for quinn so i think very early on like through my childhood like we were very 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 fortunate i was very fortunate to be born into the family that i was um in sri lanka maybe not as bad as a lot of other countries you know poverty was 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 a big deal like there were a lot of kids who didn't have food to eat and you know even when my dad grew up he would go to school hungry and and so it was always like it was always kind of part of me um in terms of I would always try to to give back in whatever way. So when I was working, you know, donate part of my salary to salary uh, to uh, to charitable activities. And I always thought if I started if I started a company, there would always be a charitable component. I just didn't know what it was or what the organization was, and in what way I could have the most impact. So actually, when we started, I was donating, doing more of the one for one, like the Tom's model. That is not very sustainable, <laughs> uh, especially when you start and your product cost is still pretty high to, be, to donate a pair of socks with every pair you sell. It, it doesn't make as much sense. And I didn't feel I was having a lot of impact or the socks wouldn't really, really reach the children who needed it most. Um, and, and so uh, Mary's meal, uh, Meals came up because there was actually another organization doing a very similar thing. Um, and 
I love the organization just because of the way they run it, the, and the, the millions of children that they impact, but also the fact that 93 cents of every dollar actually goes to charitable activities, which is quite high um, compared to some of the other charitable organizations. These children, and what I specifically love about Mary's Meals is they provide the meal at a place of education or at the school, which encourages these children who don't often even eat daily to go to the school um, for the meal and in, in turn also get educated. Um, and it's so impactful, the work that they're doing. Um, and from a brand perspective as well, we're able to quantify it because they, they've quantified how much a meal costs. So we, we can track how many meals we're actually donating, which is harder to do when, you're, when, you, when your donations aren't that big at the beginning, you don't know, really know where it goes to. And you, I, I still can't trace it to the actual child yet, but um, we, can, we can count how many meals. And so it's very, when you, when you translate it into the number of meals, it just makes it that much more meaningful, clearer to communicate with our consumers, the impact that um, they're having with their purchase. Um, and also, like I said before, it really motivates me because the journey, this journey is hard. And with the two kids, sometimes I feel like, you know, where, like, is this all serving this a bigger purpose? <laughs> and um, and through this, where uh, I I feel like I'm that much more motivated to to keep hustling and to keep going. Interesting. I've never heard anyone phrase it that way. And one of the the things I thought uh, was interesting there that I, I relate to is you said that uh, your your childhood uh, it partly inspired this, and it it reminds me of my mom who grew up in Mexico and. Really, like talked a lot about um, just like the abject poverty that she witnessed at times uh, growing up there, and it really like it. It clearly had a a lifelong impact on her. Yeah. All right. the The one thing we I totally skipped over, and this is so important. When you first start the business, getting that first sale is a thrill, but it's hard. And then you get ten sales, and then you get to a hundred, and suddenly you have you're like, all right, the ball's rolling. This business is starting. But getting those first hundred sales is probably the hardest part of the business. How did you get early traction for your business? So when I first launched, um, I think I launched on Wix. Yeah, I did Wix before Shopify and very quickly migrated to Shopify. But um, but well, let's let, let's unpack that a little bit. Yeah. Uh, the advantage, like Wix, is Wix was limited but easy. I'm sure. Yes. You correct me if I'm wrong. Um, and then how long did that last before you're like, I, I got to go to an actual e-commerce platform? Yeah, two to three months. Um, yeah. So it's pretty quick. Very quick. Yeah. So I used precisely Wix because it was easy. I had built a website for my dad's company with Wix. Uh, and so I was familiar with it. Um, so I just thought, okay, let's put it out there with Wix. And then um and then I knew, like, I have to con seriously consider Shopify. But um, but at the time, it was like, let's get this website up and running. The first, I guess, the first bit of traction really came from friends and family. I would say that I was very happy to see a stranger order the socks uh, when I first launched. Um, but the momentum, I couldn't keep the momentum high because I was still very new to Facebook, Instagram ads. Um, I didn't really know where to find my, you know, target demographic beyond that, you know, those initial sales. So I would say that um, 
I think it was in August, I started listing my products on Amazon. Um, and that's where kind of the initial momentum came uh, just because of the size of the Amazon marketplace. And so if people were searching for organic cotton socks, that would rank pretty high because there just wasn't as much competition. Um, so the first, I guess, a little bit of momentum really came from Amazon beyond those, you know, that initial launch hype. Um, and Amazon is still a little bit of a part, is, is, is a little part of our business. But since then, I've, I've, I was strategic in how I kind of used Amazon. I never wanted to build an Amazon business. Uh, I wanted to build my own brand, but I felt like that was a very good source of traffic and a way to move my inventory in those early days as I figured out Facebook, Instagram apps. No, absolutely. No, I think that's that's a good strategy a lot of people used. the Because initially, when you've never sold anything online, you don't have experience with it, trying to find your audience on the internet is way harder than it sounds. Yes. Um, the the analogy someone used on the show, I wish I could remember who, because it was brilliant. They said, you're in a cave with a candle when you start. Right. Like you, it's just massive. <laughs> and you could go every which direction and get lost in, in so deep into it, but you can barely see like just around you. And then as you start to get traction and you start to talk to people and you start to see where they come from, you start to figure it out. Like, all right, now you get a flashlight and it starts getting better and you start figuring it out. Yeah. Um, the, the advantage to you know, that early simultaneously saying, okay, I'm going to own, have an own channel. I'm going to own my brand and having a website. And then also, uh, putting yourself on marketplaces, Amazon, eBay, Etsy, you, uh, those marketplaces are a shortcut to, because they, the values, you don't own the customer, but they bring that customer to you and you give up a bigger cut of the, the profit and the revenue, but they're bringing that customer to you. Like you're not spending on Facebook ads. So I think it is, um, it's a, a good, easy shortcut, especially early on without experience to use a marketplace simultaneously. And then ideally like that's your customer acquisition strategy. And I'm sure as you saw, like people start Googling you and they start finding the website or like you've got pack-ins or ah, and now you start building the email list and it starts to snowball and things get easier. Yeah, yeah those early days of figuring out where your customers are going to come from are definitely a challenge and it's really a puzzle. Um, and it sometimes just takes time. You know, you got to give some different channels time in order to, uh, to see what makes sense for your product. Other thing I want to talk to you about is your average order value, if you're willing to discuss it with us. So the socks are not particularly expensive. What have you been doing about it? Is it a problem? What kind of average order values are you are you seeing? What do you do about it? Yeah, my average order value is around $60, which surprises people. On socks? On socks. <laughs> because, um, you know, uh, socks are one commodity and they're typically lower priced. Even when it comes to adult socks, unless you're ultra premium, it's about, I don't know, 10, 12 US dollars, maybe a little bit more. Um, and um, especially that first order, like you're getting... Um, you're getting somebody to try out a product. So it, it tends to skew that lower. But I guess I was a little bit strategic um, just though with the whole three pairs, nine possibilities concept of bundling and selling, you know, they're packaged in threes. So you kind of have to buy the three or you don't buy any at all. And I mean, it works also better for kid socks because people are used to buying packs uh, for, uh, for kid socks. But what I found is, bundling products and lately like we even created a mystery bundle that does really really well um even though the 
you know, it is sold at a discount because it's a, a bit of a surprise. Um, I have just found with bundling products, um, I'm able to increase um, the average order value um, as well as um, even even the customer lifetime value. But um, the other thing, the other two things that I've worked well, and every product's a little bit different, but we've played around a bit with our free shipping threshold. And this one's interesting because you've got to really attest it. Uh, what we found, it was previously 75 Canadian dollars. Um, it, that's pretty high, but shipping in Canada is relatively high. Um, so um, so that made sense. But recently, because of COVID-19, we actually lowered it to 50. And what we, we found is there were far fewer orders of just one three-pack of socks. Um, and so most would buy two. Uh, to even start off with, um, which actually ended up increasing our average order value. So just kind of playing around with the shipping threshold, I think, is has been um, has been good for us in terms of trying to figure out what that sweet spot is. And the free gift with purchase, like we've done promotions. Um, we have one right now as well, where we offer a free pair of socks um, on purchases over $100. Uh, and we find that a lot more takers on that um, 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 as well. So uh, there are a few other strategies um, that I want to try as well, like the payment plan, which we still haven't done, but I, I know that's meant to increase our average order value. But those are the three that have worked for us, the the bundling, the, free, the playing around with the free shipping threshold, and uh, the free gift with purchase. I love the bundles. Uh, it's just such an easy way to reduce uh, a couple of purchase decisions for people. It's like, look, here's the three pack. These go together. They look great. You'll save eight bucks by buying three at a time. Just go like it, it really reduces a lot of decision fatigue um, for someone who's like, look, I like these socks. I like your brand. I like the transparency and you know, I'm into space. Oh, look, here's the out of this world. Three pairs of socks. Like I got one kid who's really into space stuff. So immediately I'm like, OK, that's for him. That would work. Uh, and so bundling them that way uh, it is very smart for conversion rate as well as average order value. Having that uh, a sixty dollar average order value on a, an inexpensive commodity product is quite extraordinary. The other advantage to having a a sixty dollar average order value is it's like right in this perfect sweet spot where it's still going to be it's still an impulse purchase territory, but it's very it's like very much profitable for you as far as customer lifetime value goes, especially since socks are a wear item, and so people have to like once I found a good pair of socks, you know I found. I discovered stance socks like 12 years ago and then I, you know, I have spent hundreds of dollars with them. So having that, um, that higher average order value is, or that an order, an average order value in like the 50 to hundred range is absolutely fabulous because it doesn't eat into your conversion rate where like, you know, a two, $300 would two, $300 item might, but still keeps the business very healthy cash flow wise. So I like that a lot. The other thing I noticed you're doing, uh, is, is free gift with purchase. So there's an ad, there's a ban like a ribbon banner ad that I think looks nice in the, I mean, the adult collection. And it says free pair of socks, adult large on orders over a hundred dollars automatically added at checkout. Hmm. The, does that, I have, my experience with our clients is that free gift with purchase for, it seems like a pair for in general, but especially for apparel brands does extraordinarily well. Have you seen a, a similar thing? Yes, like the months that we run it, we notice um, 
a, a higher order value and also more conversions um, as well. So it does work really well. And um, we tr I've, I, I, I've had it for a long time. I've had those on and off uh, promotions for over a year and a half um, now because it, it does work. And there's a lot of brands that do it and it tends, it seems to be apparel brands. One that's like really into it is uh, Chubby Shorts. Their drawer cart has like six free gift offers in it and they're all grayed out until you add, start, the cart value starts going up. And that like this whole thing's custom. I once tried to build it for someone yeah. uh, ourselves. It was the nightmare. It did not, it was so difficult to manage. Don't, don't even attempt this. Um, but it was, it was very clever. And so I, I think my point is if you've considered free gift with purchase, absolutely try it. They, they seem to work really well because people are loss averse, yeah. right? Like if you tell me, if I'm ordering socks from you and I'm spending like, all right, I spend really like what you're doing here is walking me up a product ladder. So I show up and I'm like, oh, a pair of socks is like, you know, 13 bucks. Oh, well, if I buy a bundle, they're 12 bucks, 25, I get them for eight bucks. Oh, wait, I can get free shipping at 50. All right. So now I'm at like, all right, I'll get another pair. I got my uh, pack for me. I'll get a pack for my wife. And now I'm at 50. Uh, but if I get to a hundred, I get a free gift. Mm. So I, if I don't get the free gift, it feels like I'm losing something, yeah. right? And so, ah, now you have talked me into going through and, and going up over a hundred bucks. Yeah. And you know what? It's such a great way to move inventory that is slower moving as well. Because obviously we would be strategic in what we give away as gifts. There's still good quality socks, but maybe the designs aren't as popular as some of our other designs. So um, it's a great way to you know keep that inventory moving. And well, and same with the um, mystery, the mystery bundle. bundle. Exactly. I've had several clients do variations on mystery bundle. Um, the uh, like Hoonigan has done it as the mystery bag. That thing always sells out. Um, Leno's Garage, Jay Leno's Garage, really like that was part of how they launched that brand was, hey, buy the mystery box. Right. And it was like a monthly box and it was a limited thing. Yeah. Uh, that stuff works incredibly yeah. well. The other thing I love that you do, you have an incredibly coherent and nice size chart in all apparel. Sizing is going to be the biggest objection from people is how do I know this thing's going to fit me? There's my toddler yelling at me. <laughs> And yours, yours looks really nice for something as simple as socks. So did you find this was a problem? And then you're like, all right, we got to make a nice size chart here. Yeah, you know what? That's been like the biggest challenge, especially when you work with multiple suppliers and they have different machines. And so there, you know, there's always like a little bit of a difference in terms of the size. Um, so, and, but obviously consumers expect that consistency. They're buying from q Quinn. So one, one pair of socks should fit exactly the same as the other. So been a bit of a learning especially when you're on board a new suppliers and there was one stock where you know all the socks sh shrunk a lot more and they wouldn't fit even roughly the same way so oh no yeah been there done that and now i know now what not to do but yeah so thank you for that feedback because uh, i'm glad that it's working a bit better now but that's been a bit of a challenge for us and we've I, I really want to strive for as much consistency as possible so that you know when a customer comes back they know what exactly what size to buy and when we launched this other apparel too and this is the challenge with apparel it's the sizing everybody comes in different um, sizes body types and being able to create a product that has I mean with socks as well I've been a bit more lucky because they're more forgiving they have more stretch whereas uh, with some other forms of apparel it's going to be a bit more of a challenge but um, 
but yeah, I just uh, what we strive for is more con is consistency across the board in terms of uh, sizing and offering clear size guidelines so that customers pick the right size. Do you even with this very clear sizing guide? Do you still see uh, getting a lot of questions on sizing? Lately, no, because we actually did this recently. But um, okay. before, when we had that shipment where it kind of ran a bit small, it wasn't so much before. It was after being like, "What happened to these uh. socks?" And then, oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but once that was fixed and that was communicated and all that, that kind of improved. We we are fortunate not to have too many sort of sizing issues or people picking the wrong size and coming back to us being like, it really doesn't fit. Um, um, and and it, it ends up being very expensive, especially in Canada. We don't really offer a, a free um, return policy. Um, so of course, if it, it was damaged or anything like that, we'll, we'll take the hit on that. But exchange and returns, it's kind of like a, a little bit on a case by case. And I know it's, you know, it's one of those objection busters. Um, and so I, you know, it's just, to be honest, something that we're figuring out, but it, it does end up being very expensive to do free exchange and returns if they don't like the product and things like that. So um, something that we're learning about. But um, yeah, I'm sure, Kurt, you have more insight into into that for the apparel brands that you work in. Oh, yeah, absolutely. The returns and exchanges with apparel is, is a real nightmare. I mean, they have a, a very high return and exchange rate in general. Um, I know in I've read statistics, I've not experienced this, but I've read statistics like some retail stores will have a 50% return and exchange rate. It's absolutely insane. But yeah, like it's it's because you, you can't try it on. And to your point, you, everybody is uh, really is shape different. Um, you know, for me, I'm, I'm six feet tall and I have this like absurd uh, 44 inch barrel chest that drives me crazy because trying to get a shirt that fits right is a complete nightmare. So you know, once I find a brand that works, like uh, probably maybe I'll go back and buy like two more shirts from them. And like you then experience that with these socks where someone said, oh, wow, these socks fit and this is perfect. And I know this is the size and they reorder and it doesn't fit exactly the same. And it's just this wild disappointment. And so like often the solution is, hey, we'll do free returns and exchanges. But you one that becomes very expensive and it represents waste because what are you supposed to do with like returned worn socks? Mm -hmm. I don't know what the solution is beyond like over communicating on sizing, which you did like maybe rather than doing the returns you do, Hey, we'll send you uh, you know, a set. We'll send if they're too small, we'll send you a size up free. Right. You know, that could be a lower cost way out of it. I don't know, but it is like a hundred percent. If you're considering apparel, you're in apparel. It's something you have to think through. Yeah. And that's, yeah, that's one of the other things that, that scares me with apparel. What I love is when sites do like in like socks, it doesn't apply, but when they go like, you know, here's the, the model's height and weight, and this is the size they're yeah. wearing. That that combined with a size chart, I think that really helps. Yeah, that's a good point because it, it helps uh, people kind of visualize it so that they can see. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, because I can't try it on. Um, and then the other issue you get into, especially, um, it's probably less of an issue with you, but more like with fast fashion stuff, take three shirts, all size large, and all three will fit a little differently. <laughs> that's just a, yeah. a, you know, a common thing that that happens when you're manufacturing stuff at scale like yeah. this. Tolerances on clothes turn out they're not that good. Yeah, and, and with multiple suppliers too. Um, just going back before, just kind of maintaining consistency. That is definitely an ongoing challenge. We got to wrap this up. It's very interesting, and I like you a lot. That's why we've we've gone long. If you could go back in time, what's one thing you you would do differently? I think I would sort of keep an open mind and 
um, launch a product or a version of a product faster and sort of, you know, in the pre-launch really think about, mark, you know, how I'm going to really get those first, you know, 100 sales. Um, because like I said before, like I was a bit naive thinking, okay, you launch this great product and everybody will come. Uh, but that's certainly not the case. So I think it's, um, it's getting to market faster and maybe paying more attention to detail on, um, on where your first customers are going to come from um, and how you're going to sort of iterate from there. Um, you know, I, I paid a lot, you know, I wrote a children's book. I had this great product, which is still a great product, but most of my customers come to me for socks. Um, and the, the, the book is extra and it's great. But at the time, I, you know, I didn't realize that a, it's more of a gifting item. Uh, people are not going to come back necessarily for the book and socks, but they'll come back from socks. But the point is to to go to market faster and uh, to really think hard about where you're going to get your first uh, 100 to 200 customers. And then you go from there. That's an excellent point. Yeah, I've seen people where they're like, the site has to be absolutely perfect before we we launch it. It's like launch just means remove the password and no one and like there's no one there. Exactly. No one cares. And that's it. Like that is 100% the norm. So it's really like, yeah, if early on you accept like, okay, we are just trying to get that first sale, like have sane goals, just trying to get that first sale. And then once you have that, okay, where'd they come from? Can I double down on that? Can I do more of that? And so really like the one thing I always want to be knowing from customers and new customers particularly is how'd you hear about mm -hmm. us? Because if I know that, then I could just keep investing in where I know I'm getting my income yes. from. It's not the customers that where those customers are referred yes. from. That's my income source. Um, and so I could double down on that. But yeah, I mean, those early days are both, I mean, it's a lot of fun. Like I have a lot of nostalgia for it, but at the same time, I don't miss, you know, the heartburn, <laughs> the the lost sleep. It, it's tough. The, but no, that is excellent advice. Uh, lastly, before we wrap it up, you have a special offer for us because everyone can use more comfortable socks. I'm a sock connoisseur. I wish I could put on a fresh pair of socks every day. I mean, I wash my socks. <laughs> That's not very sustainable. <laughs> Every day I just throw the socks out. Get out of here. me, but <laughs> um, yeah, fifteen percent off because everyone, like you said, can use more comfortable socks with code Kurt Special. Um, and I think it would be in the show notes, right, Kurt? Yes. Yeah. Under links mentioned, Q for Quinn. Use code Kurt Special to save fifteen percent on socks. I have included that. And, I'll, and don't forget, you get a free gift if you buy over a hundred dollars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, first, all right, first go for the yeah. bundle. And then you probably want to get the free shipping. So do two or three bundles. Well, all right, don't, you don't want to miss out on the free gift. So get some for everybody. Um, very good. The No, I got nothing else. This is fantastic. I need to go shop for some socks. Melita, thank you so much. Thank you, Kurt, for having me on the show. It's a, it's a real honor. I love your podcast and the community you have created. And um, yeah, it is really an honor to be part of this show. One last thing. If you're new to e-commerce, you're probably thinking what we all were in the early days. Where the heck do I start? Product photography? Discount codes? A logo? Thankfully, there's a simple answer. Start with your theme. Your Shopify theme is your online storefront. Picking the right theme influences the way your store looks, how it works, how easy it is for visitors to see your brand's value. And that's what makes or breaks your conversion rate. With nearly a decade of experience building beautiful, performant themes, my friends at Out of the Sandbox are experts in knowing what it takes to make your store a success. 
From the unmatched speed of Turbo to the endless customization possibilities of Flex, their themes are designed to look great and, more importantly, help you sell more. Whether you want to upgrade your existing theme or launch a brand new online store, Out of the Sandbox has a theme for you. Visit outofthesandbox.com and use promo code KURTS20 for 20% off their best-selling themes, Flex and Turbo. Go to outofthesandbox.com slash unofficial, promo code KURT20 for 20% off Flex and Turbo. If you'd like to help us spread the joy of entrepreneurship, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. If you're listening on a smartphone, tap or swipe up over the cover art of this podcast. You'll find some episode notes, including links to sites we discussed, and maybe some details you missed. You'll also find offers from our sponsors, so please support our show by supporting them. And thank you. The unofficial Shopify podcast was recorded and hosted by me, Kurt Elster, produced by my business partner, Paul Rita, for our Shopify partner agency, EtherCycle. Check us out at EtherCycle.com. Thanks for listening. The unofficial Shopify podcast is distributed by EtherCycle LLC. We'll be back next week with more value bombs for Shopify store owners. If you're looking for more high quality and actionable advice on learning the business of e-commerce, join thousands of other Shopify store owners on our totally free newsletter at eCommerce Bootcamp. That's eCommerce-Bootcamp.com.